Yo, a big thank you to Aardvark Clearminds for sponsoring this episode, H plus 5 with John Vickers. Aardvark Clearminds, they provide advanced systems for the protection and management of territories, borders, assets and people for a global customer base. The Aardvark solution incorporates risk management, satellite and UAV imagery for situational awareness, safe systems for the identification and destruction of landmines and the remnants of war and standoff explosive detection technologies. Since 1982, Aardvark Clearmine has been designing and producing a variety of landmine clearance vehicles. Aardvark mechanical landmine clearance equipment has proved its superior performance in post-conflict area mine clearance. It has been involved in operations for the United Nations in Afghanistan and Lebanon and has operated in commercial clearance projects around the world, including Kuwait and Egypt. The Libyan authorities have an extensive fleet of Aardvark mine clearance systems and support equipment operating in-country. It has been used by the British, Canadian and French forces in Bosnia, by humanitarian mine clearance agencies in Angola and Mozambique, and for a substantial mine clearance project in the Jordan Valley. Aardvark has also been purchased by South Korea for landmine clearance of the demilitarised zone, and by British and American forces for clearance in Afghanistan and Iraq. France, Holland, Saudi Arabia, Jordan, Pakistan, Ireland and 15 other countries have also chosen Aardvark machines for their landmine clearance operations. Aardvark mine clearance systems and personnel are actively involved in the detection, clearance and removal of mines and UXO on land, including battlefields and military firing ranges. Aardvark instructors have many years of experience of live minefield clearing operations and provide a full training programme for customers, operators and mechanics, with normal course duration of one month. Aardvark Clear Mine, apart from the mine clearance equipment, they also supply other equipment like vehicles and also drones. One of the drones they supply, the Raybird 3, has got a flight time capability of up to 20 hours, a 250 kilometre range, which is massive, and within 100 kilometres, it can actually live stream visual uh, data back to a, command, a central command point. And from that command point, multiple Raybird 3s can operate from the same point, so they can coordinate together. It's capable of target identification, tracking and location. It's an amazing bit of kit. 7 kilogram payload, so it can do other things, not just with the visual aspect. It can carry payloads and do other tasks for other parts of the operation. As I said, Aardvark Clearminds have a plethora of other services and products that you can find on their website, aardvarkclearmind.com. Great website, really interesting to look at, even if you've not uh, got any need for their services. Take a look at it. You will be very impressed by the information presented here. It's completely out of the ordinary. I spent about 20 to 30 minutes again on it this week. Check them out, aardvarkclearmind.com. Our guest today is John Vickers, former Queen's Regiment guy, NCO when he got out many years ago and uh, he's had quite an astounding career and he's involved in some super interesting stuff. I've known him a while, but I, uh, I learned a lot about him today and I think so did Jared and Jared thoroughly enjoyed it. Enjoy the show. See what you've done. Yeah. What do you do? So I keep kicking the mic all the time. Oh, I it's right there, yeah. Uh, we're actually live. <laughs> 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 John, pleasure to see you again. Nice to meet you, John. John Vickers. You don't usually don't know each other, do you? No, no. Well, I will start off, and I will start off with a little bit of introduction. Uh, I think, as you know, this part anyway, the next three parts. So we've obviously had this week. We've had the Dogs. Battle of Goose Green. 
anniversary, back to back longer anniversary. So we're going to say cheers to all those blokes, in specific, uh, um, specifically Sergeant E. Mackay, VC, who joined us his brother-in-law. To men, lots of lies in those two battles. Cheers. Cheers. Then. Cheers. cheers. <coughs> that hard stuff. <laughs> yeah. You've got to stop giving me gin. <coughs> You've also bought a, box of tricks. a box of tricks. You need. To, you've got a million questions. I know you have. You've got a million questions because Jared knows what? something. In Jared, Ed's going. Right, he was talking about this guy and it's astronauts, <coughs> space, <laughs> something about diving. He doesn't quite marry it all that. What are you building? So we're building the world's largest pool to cater for the offshore energy industry, uh, oil and gas, renewables, ostensibly wind power, and then um, through robotics, human physiology, and the world's first commercial astronaut training centre. In the UK. Pretty, pretty impressive. Especially when you consider. And that's in the box. You'd <laughs> 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 be surprised what you can shrink. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, especially when you consider you were you are ex Queen's Regiment, correct? I used to get this wrong all the time. I used to hate me. Ex Queen's Regiment. <laughs> Something's never changed. And you're an NCO on your left. Yeah. You've gone from being an NCO to Queen's Regiment through all the way to where you are now. With uh, she's more you want. You want. Obviously, we're friends anyway. But you're more one of the most. I'm not just saying this. Like one of the most inspirational guys to me. I think you're amazing, especially with how hard working you are. Um, you're mental, but how hard working <laughs> yeah, you are. Don't yeah. end the sentence <laughs> on that word, right? But it's it's obviously what you do now must be the peak of of your career, if you like, as an entrepreneur. Yeah, which is I would, is that fair to describe you as that? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I mean, because you've you've had successful businesses before, and. Um, uh, all, all the way through, haven't you? And you've been part of successful businesses, and you've and and you've you know been part of big companies and been in successful roles. Where you've, made, you've made a big, 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 big change to those places. What I don't know about you is your time from Queens from Queens Regiment to to the Blue Abyss point. Uh, what happened? So when you got out, what? Just explain that part of it to me. When were you in? When were you in? So I joined. Uh, so Ian got killed. <coughs> 82, I was doing my, um, I think we were doing my Moco levels or something, and I got a call uh, just before we went in to do, I don't know, one of the exams, and the school secretary came in and said, you know, at the end of this, you just got to wait behind, your mum's going to pick you up, and I thought, that's a bit unusual, I used to walk the sort of three miles to school and three miles over, and I thought, that's a bit unusual, okay, so I did the exam, and then I went outside, and there was my mum, she just, I, I just literally got in the car, looked at her, and she said, uh, I have to tell you, Ian was killed, I was like, absolutely floored um we were really close i was ready to join with him um emotionally he felt like a father figure and a brother to me um so i did another year and then i started doing sixth form and for whatever reason you know some things you just fall into a pattern and perhaps i've already talked about it but i just started going along to the local um, careers office which was in Bury st edmunds in suffolk before I knew it, I got subsumed into the process of joining up. Um, uh, so I could have perhaps, perhaps, uh, stuck at my A-levels a um, and perhaps, you know, I talked about, oh, I'd love to do my A-levels, join as an officer. Never happened. Um, so I joined, um, joined the county regiment. I, I, I went along to, to um, RCB, regular commission, no, RCB, 
uh, to the um, selection centre at Sutton Coalfield in those days. Turn up to Birmingham. That's not far from here. No, you're like 16. What am I doing here? You know, oh, bloody hell. And um, it was just a a complete, I'm joining with adults and I'm I'm in shock. Um, And I asked to, uh, another another brother-in-law of mine had said, look, you know, you're not complete. Hello, come in. Um, the chance are you'd be able to get a trade or something. So something when you potentially come out, you'll have mm. something to do at, at the end of it. And I thought, mm. okay, and I'm, I'm interested in you know perhaps being not necessarily an engineer in terms of technical engineer, but you know building roads, heavy stuff. Okay, I could do that. And then I thought I would apply to try and do um, nine para P company, and then I would say, look, by the way, my brother-in-law is. Do you think I'd get a chance? And I thought in those days it was quite common that you'd be claimed by a unit. Yeah. Anyway, I, I think I, you meant nine squadron. Not yeah, no, no, yeah, but that's why I said nine pa- Well, all right. Oh, anyway. <laughs> I knew you cracked him. I knew you did. Yeah, yeah, he's straight there, didn't he? Yeah. Those days, yeah, bless. Um, wait till Sunday. Um, <laughs> I, uh, th- one of the first tests they did is for colour blindness. <laughs> so you got, like, two lights at the end of this corridor. And the guy said to me, which colour's on? And I'm like, well, I don't know, it's a white light, mate. And he said, mm. And and so, you know, I'm sorry, you can't be right. And I thought, hold on a minute, I want to build roads, Matt. I'm not looking to, you know, do some sort of nuclear bomb where you need to know the exact shade of green we're looking at. Is that relevant? I can tell which the grass is and which the tarmac is, I'm sure. But they said, look, you know, you're colourblind, you can't join. And I, I didn't say, maybe I was just a bit overwhelmed. Oh, my brother-in-law's here in Mackay, look, I want to go in the Paris. So I just said, I'd like to go in the Paris. And he said, oh, we're full up. It, now... In hindsight, if I'd have opened my big mouth, I'd have probably, they'd have probably found a way. Um, so I ended up in a county regiment through a connection, um, which was fine. I did eight and a half years. I did contemplate um, uh, reapplying, but yeah, I enjoyed my career. Then towards the end of the career, I'd swapped battalions, uh, and I was taking I had the choice to go to the depot or choice to go out and be a diving instructor in Cyprus. <laughs> this is not going to take long. This is not going to take very long at all. Uh, and so I went out, and I did that for about nine months, and then I, we ended up one night, there was a RAF do, uh, the, the diving club, our diving club went down, where we used to typically go and dive and teach, was down at the RAF club. And there had this barbecue going on, and seemingly somebody, one of the chefs, hadn't cooked the chicken properly, and I ended up, uh, I, I can't remember the exact sequence, but I ended up with a form of reactive arthritis and the pain that that thing caused. Was that like temporary caused by the food? Yeah, it was a reaction because I, although I've got O-positive blood, there's certain antigens in your body. Everybody's got like a slightly unique profile, even if you're a relatively common blood group. You know, you've got these different... And so the, the poorly cooked chicken might have caused, you know, Jared a, a bit of an upset stomach. It happened to react with my mm. um, antibodies. And my left ankle, sheesh, the pain, I've got to tell you, that was a, you know, that was a killer chicken. Mm. Um, <laughs> and, and, and effectively, over the course of a... I got Kazavat out of Cyprus at the same time as some golf guys. So that doubly sort of, bloody hell, coming back. Seeing these guys starting to come back from the first Iraq, well, before it kicked off. And I, and I think as a unit, we were quite hopeful. I don't know if we would have ever been picked, but we were sort of quite hopeful. So it felt like, oh, bloody hell, hold on. I'm, was I'm it an infantry unit? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Still. <laughs> yeah. Is um, it still in existence? No, PWR are now. Oh, OK, uh, OK, sorry. Um, so I came back with some golf guys, uh, and it just became apparent that, you know, that this was, there was no, whilst the potential was an end in sight, they weren't sure when it was going to be. And one conversation led to another, <coughs> and eventually I, I was in a position where I said, look, I don't know what's going to happen. You don't know what's going to happen. I think I'll take my chances on the outside. Uh, and, and in those days, I had an exit interview with a captain at Woolwich Hospital. And he looked as disinterested as I'm sure I felt. A bit like, you know, 
We used to get a little Chairman Red Mao book, you know, a red Chairman Mao book, which said, at the end of it, you know, here's your qualifications, here's how, how long you've been in. And at the end of it, it's um, for your rank and length of service. So full screw, corporal, you know, eight and a half years. Um, you can run, <laughs> I've never run, but you, you can run a petrol station unsupervised. And I thought, oh, well, that's it. And I said, I don't want to do that, sir. <laughs> he said, what do you want to do? And I thought, well, I, I, I want to be a management consultant. And he looked at me, and I, the two things that crossed his head, across his face were, I don't know what that is, and you're not going to be one. How did you know what it was? I, I just, didn't know what it was until you told me what it was. Yeah, well, I, I didn't really know what it was here. I just, I think I'd made it on the spur. I've read some stuff and I thought, I don't want to go and be a gate guard. I don't want to be a bloody petrol station attendant. I'm sure I can do a bit better for myself. You know, like, even then, even then, you know, I joined at 16. Even then I sort of thought, I, it felt like inside, genuinely, it doesn't matter where you've come from. It's where you think you're going. Mm. And that sounds a bit like, those are words I've heard after. True, though. But um, I always felt that I had the opportunity to be... And this sounds like, so I'm now talking about, at my age, perspective that I've put on books and other people's readings. But at the time, I thought, no, sod it, I'm going to do this. I should have written to him, because in that first year, I, I got the gig, and I ended up, in fact, I did one particular stint for somebody else, you know, I charged like 300 quid for an hour. So I thought, hold on a minute, this is quite a good number. And I made the transition, I think, out of being in the services quite, in my mind, quite easily. I know a number of guys struggle sometimes. And I've watched guys come out, relatively senior ranks, end up doing jobs that you just think, sheesh, after all that, why did you pick this? Well, there was a guy we knew called, uh, I don't know if you remember him actually, Basher. His name was Basher Bins. And this guy, mate, he was a maniac. Do you remember him? He was a maniac. And he was he was um, one of these guys who went, went through ranks. Um, I think he got out as like a WO2, possibly a WO1, but I think it was a WO2. And... Um, he ended up as a like one of the one of the army's like most experienced interrogators, and it was like an interrogation when he was in like three palm, right? But then you think he's doing that the enemy, the sort of the, the gloves are off, yeah, yeah. And he that's what he was awesome at and what he did. I, I don't, I, I'm gonna, I think he ended up going doing it down at special units and things like that. Yeah, um, and he got out to be a postman, postman, but like his choice because. I don't didn't want any responsibility. Mm. Just, just just give me that job. I'm going to plod along. Got money. I can see myself. That's it. Thumb up my ass. Loving it. And, and I, yeah, recently I know a guy that's done exactly the same. And then I knew a WO2 got out and was a gate guard at Lyd and Hythe. Mm. Uh, I know guys that were almost like, you know, predicting I'm going to get out and be a range warden in Sennybridge. And I used to think, oh, there must be more to life than some of these <laughs> career choices. <laughs> I don't want to do that. And, uh, you know, 24, 25. You're I'm still young. Though. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Young, yeah. There's still yeah. a lot I want to do. So I, I ended up doing this management consultancy for a number of years. Um, I wrote the leadership management development program for some big companies. Uh, I don't. I didn't necessarily go out and tell them or tell the firm I was working for. You know, this is what I was. Let me loose, will you? But I thought, hold on a minute. I think it's just a matter of perspective. Um, I think when you, the army taught me the same things that it taught people at much senior level, to a great, uh, greater or lesser extent. It's the way I think you apply the knowledge and the delta between, right, what have I been taught and what can I see people doing? Can I make the leap? Of, can I close the gap here? So I did that for a couple of years. And then it was a coincidental um, meeting with a, somebody I knew, and actually a TA guy from the Marines. And he said, look, I'm working at IBM. Would you like to come and have a chat about a job? And I thought, wow, OK, that's a bit, you know, it's a step up. 
Uh, so I went and interviewed, and thankfully I got the job. A steep learning curve, project management, but on the job. And actually, I'd almost talked in the past about being a project manager. You know, the force is always project management. You know, <laughs> where have you got to be? At what time? What kit do I need? It was a project man- management mentality. What I realised in Civvy Street was that civilians want you to have had experience before they'll give you a job. Yeah, yeah. In the military, you do the card, you pass, the CO's got you doing the job. Yeah. Where, I don't know what I'm doing, <laughs> but the yeah. CO says I better be doing it well. So I thought, oh, no, I can apply this. So I used to talk as if I'd already done it. Mm. And, and at IBM, I got this job. And 18 months after I joined IBM, I was running that team. And I thought, oh, okay. And I was very fortunate, coincidental maybe, nice guy at the right time. I got an opportunity to get headhunted to General Electric, the American company, in what was really my first pure, pure sales role. But I didn't want to be a sales guy. And I went and looked after Sainsbury's as a client for this particular part of GE for a year. And again, you know, good luck. We, instead of, they they wanted us to keep the account. And I said, look, I'm just going to manage the client. I'm not going to try and sell them anything. I said, if they like us and we're doing a good job of looking after them, they'll buy stuff. And a year later, we'd not only kept the account, but we'd, doubled what we were doing mm. we'd increased the service so that was you know it all went very well and I thought I'm on a roll um I got a promotion I got another promotion six months after how that. old are you at this point it's probably about 27 28 rapid yeah, yeah mm. I was very lucky I was mm. very lucky um and then they got and sold the company went and sold the company and I didn't want to go where they'd sold the company so I went off and I had taken an idea that I'd started in GE as a as a team this e-business was all sort of the flavour of the month. Uh, and myself and a couple of other people started a business. And naivety, um, in this country, what I've really noticed, if you are slightly left field, an entre- if that's a word, entrepreneurial for me, if you are slightly left field, Britain is a hugely inventive country, stifled by the people with the one thing most entrepreneurs want is money. You know, they've got a fantastic idea, they've got the willpower... But the people with the money, which is the fuel for the fire, mm. often a bit... Oh. In America, and I know this is generalised, in America, I think it just looks much... If not easier, there are more people prepared to give you a chance. So we started this business. We got a lot of traction, but at the same time, an awful lot of you know sucking of teeth and stuff. But in the end, IBM, where I'd worked, took o- didn't take over my company per se, but they took over the initiative that we'd started and we'd been to brief them about, and they ended up with something remarkably similar to what we were doing. Perhaps not as competent, not, perhaps not as advanced as we were predicting. So I ended up doing another couple of fairly senior jobs and, and sales director for a couple of big companies. So I'd, I'd, you know, my career was going up. It wasn't necessarily fulfilling me. And I eventually ended up working with another guy who was a, an out-and-out. He'd nev- never really worked in a big company. He was just an out-and-out entrepreneur. And developed some ultra-thin insulation. Where I thought we needed something to show people, he was more convinced, and that he was being advised by people that I, I didn't really agree with the advice, was, you know, look, we just need to sell the idea. And I said, the trouble is, then it's just an idea. And I was trying to tell this guy. Anyway, we sort of went our different ways. But I got some funding to continue the idea that I'd pursued, and we managed to come up with some prototypes. But we came to a point where it was the big financial crash, 2008, 2009. And, and what that taught me, and what I think I've learned in the latest company, is just, you've just got to be sheer, doggedly persevere. And then... I think the time, the lack of funds, the sort of the stress of it all, and I thought I've just caved in a bit. Went and worked for some other people again, 
and, and you know more successful career sort of thing but it just never really fulfilled me I never felt like I want to be working for you I'm working my touche off and I always felt that people would take advantage of it they'd be smiling at you and you know that it was in their power to give you the one thing that they really could give it's a bit of money yeah, yeah thanks very much you're doing a fantastic you saved me let's sort this out and that was never I didn't wasn't doing it for that but they always, I felt that people are just very keen on the outside world to take advantage of you. Because mm. the one thing, you know, inside, they can't give you a bonus, but they can recommend you for a promotion. They can put you forward and you get a CEO's commendation, whatever it is. You know, you know what those rewards are going to be. Outside, the one thing you work hard to do is some recognition and somebody could say, thanks for doing that. You saved, you saved the company some money. You saved my, my bacon. Uh, and I wasn't getting it. And again, I just thought, sod this. So I'd, I'd had an offer. I'd resigned from a company, had an offer to go somewhere else. That fell through. Um, and I went and interviewed for another company with a CEO, CEO uh, lady, got on really well. They didn't get their funding. And I just turned around to my wife and I said, I can't go back to the city. I just, I've had enough of trolling up and down on that train line to go to a job that I look, I've got to look like I'm enthusiastic about. And I frankly can't stand the, you know, <laughs> no, I can't stand the people. I'm just... I'm pretending. Uh, mm. And I said, look, I've got an idea. And she said, well, what's the idea? And I told her, and she said, say that again. I think you said big pool. And I said, well, I did. And to, but to her credit, she went, oh, okay then. And four years later, nearly, we're on the cusp of um, mm. big things, as I say. Not in the box. Darren. I was going to say. What, what is in the box then? Should we have a look at what's in the box? Would that be nice to have a look? I, I don't think what we won't be able to do is get everything that's in the box. I only got this yesterday. Actually, I had a, I had a previous version of this, but it didn't quite work. And so I'm going to have to describe this for people who listen. Yeah, so most so people listen to this, believe that. Fancy packaging. It's very nice packaging. Fancy packaging. That's a black bit, box. It says lunar on the side. Oh, bit no. of a clue. That's not Mars, Jared. No, that's not Mars. Lunar no. moons. Uh, yeah, it's a company called Lunar Pro, and I have to say that with one conversation with them, that's true of reality of the company, actually, and Lunar Pro is a product. One conversation on the phone that Hugh and I had started a conversation with them, and um, they, we would, we, I told them what the, we were doing, we were going to have this, this kick-off event, and, and actually what we want to do is get young people going out on behalf of the company. There's a bit more to explain about, but I said one of the things I think that would just make a difference is what you've got. So they sent me this, and I had an idea about what I thought it would be, but when, when I got this through the post, so it's this black box, right, and then you get, and it's, it doesn't weigh you like but, that's a, a scale replica. Ah, it's a, three it's a scale replica of the moon. So it's 3D yeah. printed of the moon. Oh, I've seen the video of this. This is And this isn't is, that it, just, like, when you actually get it, right, it's like a grapefruit size thing and it weighs. But interestingly yeah. enough, one of the promo videos that somebody does a bit of, you know, talking about. Um, it's not just that, right? There's more to this. More to it. Yeah. Well, crack it open. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like a gobstock. It's like, yeah. There's many legs. <laughs> But there's, a, there's somebody that does a recommendation of this, and I watched the video thinking, oh, are they going to sort of poo-poo it a bit? But this planetary scientist who studied the moon for 20 years, she says in this video, which was the thing that made me want to talk to them, mm. she said, so the very dark patches, she'd put her fingers over it, and she said, but why is it all bumping? And then she said, do you know, for the first time I appreciate, I think that's lava. What? And that three-dimensional model told this planetary scientist who's been studying the moon for 20 years, ah, it told her all the bumps more about it. To what's in the moon. Yep. It's exactly. But with this, they, exactly. with this, craters. with this, with this moon, they've got an app, right? So on the, on the phone, on the app on the phone, you hold, this goes in a stand, you hold your, uh, you hold your camera over the, over the moon 
and you over it'll pick it'll, like it'll for example show you where the tracks were of Apollo of uh, uh, the lunar lander from Apollo yeah. 11 17 17 well, right well. and then it'll show and then you can click onto it and it'll, and it'll show you a little video and it'll give you information it'll tell you the names of the creators so you can and you can move this around your hand and on your phone it's just it's just fantastic I mean when you look at that you just think wow it really gives you a bit of you know, that's what it looks like. So as Hugh's saying, I mean, I loaded the software and then um, you hold the camera so that this fills the, 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 the icon that's got on the camera. And then it shows you all the different craters and the names of the craters. And then, mm. and then some of them where the Apollo 11 landing point, Apollo 12, Apollo 15, um, Apollo, you know, all the Apollo missions that landed on the moon. But with the Apollo 11 one, when you click on it, with your, so you click on your iPad or iPhone screen, and it does it for Android. You click on it and you watch a little movie on your screen of a space capsule and then the lunar lander leaves. Comes down, lands, then the lunar lander lands <laughs> on the moon in the and, right spot. And, they, and they walk out. And two astronauts, walk, well, first, first, first Neil Armstrong walks out and then Buzz Aldrin and they plant a flag. <laughs> Brilliant. That's pretty cool. Brilliant. Yeah, and then they take off and connect back up. Yeah. Hey, Jared. That's I mean, pretty cool, yeah. Jared's thinking. That. Jared's thinking. I'm thinking about Wallace He's and Gromit. Thinking. Getting off and chopping a bit of the moon off and putting on the I was gun. wrong. I was wrong with Jared's thinking. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking Jared's thinking you talk about a pool and run about space. There. Yes. Right. So. Well, we need, yeah. you need three things to train an astronaut. Right. You need... I'm going to say thing to you, and this is John's actual words. You need a body of water yeah. to simulate three-dimensional movement, not weightlessness. Oh, right. You need okay, yeah. parabolic flight. They don't call it the vomit comet. Which is... Some people do, but four people love the planet. Plane yeah. f- flies up really high and then drops at a certain angle, certain speed, so that inside you, bec- you have the a feeling of being weightless. Right, You're not okay, used to dropping yeah. the same speed as the plane. So how do they feel in like, the scenes in Apollo 13... And grab it and all yep. that. Yeah. Yeah. You get about 30 seconds of that. And you need... Don't tell me, John. Oh, my God. A body of water, parabolic flight. I need um, long-arm centrifuge, human centrifuge. You know James Bond? who sits in there in one of those films and he goes round and round yeah. and round and round. That's a long-arm... Or human centrifuge, also known as three things. So the big body of water. That's, where, that's, that's what, what we do. So that's what you do. Mm-hmm. We digressed a massive amount there. Yeah. Uh, what was your career transition like? <laughs> Going right back. <laughs> when you, because obviously now you have, a, you have, depending on how long you're in for, you get like six, seven months of of certain um, courses and and things that are in. You get a three day course, a career transition workshop. When you got out in what year? I got out at the end of ninety one. So what what was what was it like then? So I went, had this interview, uh, got my little red chair in my mouth, but thanks very much, I'm off. Uh, and I, I, because I was getting medically discharged, I got the opportunity to go on and choose a course. And so I went back down to Aldershot, to Brown and Barracks. Petrol station course. Uh, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Customer service. <with> them. <laughs> and that was, a, I mean, get this, they said it was like a, an introduction to business. I mean, bear in mind, it was six weeks long. And I was supposed to live in, in I, don't know, I think it was an RCT depot because there was no room at oh, Brown in us. And I'm, I'm not staying here. I got my mattress out and you know shoved it back at the, the storm and it's like I was driving each day. But it was a, a an introduction to business where you're supposed to, in six weeks, go from being a, a you know, <laughs> hello, uh, what's going on, uh, to being able to supposedly run a business. But in that six weeks, I have to say, it gave me a, quite a good appreciation. Um, finance, you know, but it... it it was it was it was very good, but in hindsight, there wasn't a real lot to it. Um, 
and, and in a way, in six weeks, how do you take somebody that's been in the army for eight, ten, twenty odd years and turn them into a businessman? Um, it really was, if you look back on it compared to, I think, what, what the opportunities are now, it was just a real sort of, look, we'll touch on this. There won't be an awful lot of, forgive the pun, There's no formal qualification from it, then. No, 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 yeah. what, stage, what stage in your career did you have to get to to be able to do courses like that where you got a formal qualification and, like, decent um, quality uh, transition courses and, and advice and guidance? I think if I'd have come out more formally at my nine-year point or my 12-year point, then there would have been a bit more, yeah. you know, look, um, okay, here's your options. I don't think in those days, you know, actually the courses were any more necessarily. It depends on when you were coming out in those days for the length of service and the reasons for coming out. Yeah, I think there was something, you know, they ranged from like a week or two up to the six or eight week mark, but mm. that was effectively it. Mm. Um, as I say, look, they were, they were, in their day, they were very helpful. It gave me, a, it started me off thinking, right, I'm coming out. Um, but there was no real formality. I got most of my courses that I'd done subsequently in civil history. Mm. I mean, nothing I'd done in, apart from the mentality, <laughs> nothing counted. You know, mm. uh, <laughs> Matt Reed. Part, that, you know. part of the problem with that, I think we touched it before with Jordan, part of the problem of when when you get to that point where you sign off and you go, uh, right, I'm getting out, and you go on to your, you get a, you go and see the RCMO, the Regimental Career Management Officer for the civvies who are listening, the civvies listen to this too, right? Um, and you go and see him, and he says, right, what do you want to do? Yeah. Like, no idea. I was in section of tax last week. And then you go on your career transition partnership, meet meet with the, the the man or the woman who's going to be your sort of guiding light through it. And they give you some they give you some things of you could aspire to do in Civic Street. You haven't got a clue what any of them mean, because you haven't got a clue about Civic Street. This depends on what time, when, you know, when you got in. I mean, I got in at 18. I never have even clue about anything. But people get in at 16. They know nothing else. Like, and I've never had a job. They've got no idea. They've got no idea how a till works. For, you know, that, that basic, basic knowledge. And um, so, then you, so then you're tasked with... I mean, we had the benefit of LCARs. You got £2,000 to spend on courses. You've got to spend two k on a course. When you still haven't a clue what you're going to do. You've still got no idea. Which is why I think a lot of people default to the safe option. Because everything else has got so much risk assigned to what they choose. Like your CP... Like, like you. Uh, from, well, I mean, if you only got the, the basic credits, your uh, security license, your basic dorm and stuff, um, what else do people do at the minute with the money? Your, your tradesman skills, without looking at the all the whole plethora of other courses available, because they're almost so much risk assigned in terms of they don't have the knowledge to go and do it. You know, um, that's a very, and I think Hugh, that was, you know, I joined at sixteen, and, and I'm lucky in that I, I think because of the the way that I came out, I after a point in time, I think I was just peeing them off in the hospital so much they let me go home on something they called recall leave. So effectively, I was, I was one grade, one point one of a grade from being right. You're out anyway. P seven L seven. At one point, they they uh, another unit got me in and said, right, you're going to be a range duty officer. And I said, hold on, I can't even walk properly. How do you expect me to? So was it was it not curable then the the uh, reactive arthritis? They didn't know when it was effectively ah, it was right, it'll right. burn itself out potentially or it'll leave you some lasting damage. Yeah, and I thought I said to the, the the doctor that eventually signed me off. I said, "Look, mom, you know, is it six months, six weeks, six? What? what? And she said, "We don't know." And I thought, well, look, and I went back and I got a bit of advice, and they said, "Look, just ask." Mm. And I said, I, I don't know what's going to happen. You don't know what's going to happen. I think I'm still young enough that I can make a difference. I, I think I can mentally make the transition. And she was very accommodating. She said, look, when do you want to come back for the chat? And I thought, okay. But I had no idea what I wanted to do. But during the period that I was at home, 
on this recall leave because I was, wasn't fit for anything. Else. I'm going to go back to the depot, and you know, yeah. I wasn't going to be a storm. And I thought, hold on a minute, come on, I'm, I've just turned down for the chairman Mal bit off to a petrol station. I'm not going to be a bedding storeman. Um, I, and I, I, I'd looked and thought what I wanted to really do. <clears throat> there was a guy at the time, and now I'm going to say it, the name escapes me, but who was doing this management leadership training, and he was taking managers, senior managers from corporate companies, taking them up to the wilds of Scotland, beasting them a bit, taking them out on sailing boats, you know, throwing them over the side to give them a bit of moral, you know, moral sort of um, challenge and stuff. And I thought oh, I could do a bit of that, but, but then I thought, well, oh, you know, somebody's already doing the wild bit. Maybe we could bring it back a little bit more in terms of how, how real is what they're going to go out and do on the wilds of Scotland and throw themselves off a yacht compared to what they're going to be doing in the office. And so I approached it from that perspective. So I had those ideas. So when I, did the, when I chose the course, out the, the, the options weren't that extensive. At least LCAS now gives you a chance, as long as they're LCAS approved, you know, the field's that wide. But the same problem, if you haven't really thought what you want to do. An awful lot of the guys I see who come through Leavers Link and the girls who come through Leavers Link seem to almost, not, not entirely, but there's almost a default project management. Explain what Leavers Link is. So I've, Leavers- I've mentioned it a couple of shows before, but you, you, you explain it. So Leavers Link, um, when I came out, there, were, there was no real, there didn't appear to be, f- for, for guys and girls getting out in the ranks at least, there was no sort of uh, networking effort. Um, and I'd come across... I went, actually my wife pointed out, this is 2010, she said that, John, there's an event going on in Colchester uh, towards military networking. And I thought, oh, you know, why not, right? I've got that Wednesday evening or Thursday evening off, I'll, I'll go along. And there was an ex-half colonel in the Royal Artillery. He was basing it on a model that's been going for 20-odd years in the city called Liquid List. It used to be called Gunners in Business, which was ostensibly geared up for all artillery officers getting out. Then they changed the name and it became much more all ranks, all services. And it's been a fantastic guiding light. Liquid list is massive, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. But, but predominantly in London. Now, mm. I didn't know about it. It still was, you know, 2010. I hadn't come across it. So this guy, this other guy, um, Hugh Taylor, was running an equivalent, but in Colchester, I'm all, I don't know how she heard about it, BFBS Radio or something. I went along, and I remember there was about you know, a dozen of us, various there's ex-colonels, ex-majors, me. I think there was a Tom or an RAF guy. Um, and we just were talking about what we were going to do, aspirational. And then I, for whatever reason, thought, oh, yeah, I enjoyed that. I wonder if I could give a hand. And I said, spoke to this, the guy that was running it, Hugh Taylor's ex-RA colonel. I said, look, I'd be more than happy. And he said, well, I'm actually having to commute in from Suffolk a bit. Would you mind um, giving me a hand? And if I'm not available, take over. And then within a couple of months, I was running it. And so for the last eight years, we've been running once a month, apart from July and December, block leave, to coincide with block leave. We've been running this military networking in Colchester and now Norwich. We've done it up in Peterborough. But trouble is, guys and girls, when they're getting out, I think want the help and want the advice. Before they get out, if they, if they know they're getting out, what they want to do is apply themselves. Mm. What most people don't do is apply themselves to, right, I'm getting out in this date, two years hence. Most military people leave to the week before and think, hold on, I'm getting out. What am I supposed to be doing next? What we try and do is encourage people as early as possible, the Toms, to get off their pit, come in, talk, and and find out exactly the point you made, Hugh. You know, what is there out there? What could I be doing? And it's about finding out from them, what would you like to do? Because to all intents and purposes, and this is what I genuinely thought when I got out, what is it I'd love to do? Mm. It doesn't matter what I've been doing. Imagine that nobody's tainted you with that. Imagine that's not a limitation. If you're coming out, what would I love to do? And eventually, and part of the other, no, I didn't necessarily. Part of me felt that when I did the first management consultancy bit, part of me felt, yeah, this is what I want to do. 
And at that age it was. But I, I say to all the guys and girls that come through Leavers Link now, which is, is the same as Liquid Lich, you know, it's once a month, they come for a couple of hours, quite relaxed dress, you get to meet ex, you get to meet civvies who are there to support, and it's just for you to start to meet other people. And if nothing else, well, what do you do? Why does that do that then? How could I be involved in that? What, what would I need to be in that? And or for them to just say, look, you know, what I think I want to do is this. And they get a bit of an encouragement and we can say, well, actually, I know someone that does that already. Can I connect you? And if all you do is get a half hour chat and a coffee with somebody who's been doing, you know, that photography, garden design for 20 years, you can pick their brain. And at the end of it, you get a choice, you know, actually, it doesn't appeal to me as much as I thought it might. Or, OK, I'm going to yeah. see if I can't do that. Yeah. I think if guys and girls applied themselves in that two years before they got out to thinking, what am I going to do when I get out? Then the choice you would be a bit better. They wouldn't just choose something. Yeah. Each the the problem with it is is that it is that um when it's a brilliant it is a brilliant event it's absolutely brilliant but because by nature of the forces when you you you, you when you leave you almost always leave that area where you're based. So um, in terms of the continuity and other people who are still in. Knowing that oh, there's, this, there's, this, there's this event on Leavers Link on in cultures that I can go to, the people who can tell them are gone two years before, three years before. So the continuity of information, um, you don't, it doesn't always get the best support in terms of vocal support uh, in within within the units. That's yeah. not because it's not because I think it's bad. It's brilliant. If if it was at me, I would make it mandatory. I'd make it mandatory because um, coming on was going on and digressing here. The problem with it is the people who are going to come along, yeah, have got the balls to turn up because it's nerve-wracking. If you yeah, yeah, you yeah. say networking, when I was in networking, go on, going to talk to people, I'm only talking to Reg, mate, I'm only talking to Paris, everyone else can do one. That's what it's like. You don't want to talk to anyone else because that's on the face of that's what you like, but underneath, what are you going to talk about? There's no connection. They're civvies, you're not. There's no, you've got no idea what to do. So you either go there with a buddy or you don't go at all. Or the people who do turn up are the ones that like, they're going to benefit from it, from it, but they don't need it as much as the people who aren't turning up, who don't know to turn up. If I had my way, I'd make it mandatory. And on a career transition partnership, you bang, you will go every month to Leavers Link or any networking event. It doesn't just have to be Leavers Link. Any networking event. Yeah, yeah. Go yeah. along and get the experience. Because as soon as you've done it the first time, for half hour, you realise, actually, this is all right. Because especially with a military event like Leavers Link, the people who are there the businesses who are there and the, and the civilians because some are not business owners they're literally just civilians who've, who've got like who've never been in they just want to help out they just want to help yeah. or they're there because they're the serial networkers and they go along <clears throat> so the, everyone that's there wants to help you wants to help you get on and, and all you can gain from a networking event be it be your ex-military or else all you can gain from it is information information connections that's all you need to because you don't get anything without knowing people flat out that's the way it works that's exactly right and, and I think when you tell the guys and girls that come along and the toms that come along you know 65% Harvard an American university did a study and it said 65% of all jobs that people get is through somebody they know or knowing somebody I they don't necessarily directly know them but it's through knowing and making a connection with somebody and to a degree you might not bypass the, the process entirely but what you get is a recommendation yeah. somebody said oh actually that guy that I met that girl that I met last week you, you, to the hiring manager you need to see them so your CV might have to go into the process but suddenly how, how did that happen your CV is at the top and you get an interview and most what I found and I found whenever I've 
trying to apply for jobs as a civvy, that it is totally disheartening to send off what you think is, wow, that job was written for me. I've just been doing that. That job was written for me. I've been earning that money. You know, they'll give me a job. So you write a fantastic letter, you tell them, you don't even hear back. And I must have written 1,500 letters over my time. And I've had some fantastic jobs. But when I've been banging out my CV, and then then you just think, oh, why don't these people have the decency to say, thanks, but... Yeah, and and that for a lot of ex guys that and girls, soldiers right, yeah. Soul yeah, it is. When I sent my CV off like to the CP com- companies when mm. I first started out, just didn't hear anything back. No. It, like you said, soldiers join because you don't know what you're not doing wrong. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no one's there to like help you or anything. And, and in, but and, uh, in, I mean, in fairness, on the other side, the, the, the amount of applications they must get, they can't apply. But it's that, no. that gap. Well, how, how do I understand it? But again, we come back to that. How do I make? How do I make it? How do I? It's, it's targeting. It's like targeting. What I started doing is, um, if I saw a job, I saw that company, I would go in. It would go down the rabbit hole of trying to find out who the recruiters were, trying to find them online, trying to find it because their emails would be on there online somewhere. If I didn't, if I knew their names, I try the first and last name and then the, the company domain, and then I try find find some associate with them on LinkedIn if I could. Then I try and befriend those people. Who should I speak to? Get the phone number. And before I even sent the CV, where I could because you can't do it all the time is drop an email, phone them up. All right, Da-da-da-da. saw this job. I'm going to drop your CV because even just having a phone call with them, they've heard your voice. That can be enough. You've got two CVs in front of you and they're both identical, right? Identical in every way. All the qualification, all the experience and one person you spoke to on the phone and he or she sounded all right. I can tell you now they're going to choose. They're going to choose the one who they spoke to on the phone and you sounded all right because they're the other one who hasn't got a clue. They haven't got a clue. They haven't got a clue. Yeah, there's no rocket sciences network. It is a <laughs> bit of a... But when you say that to the guys and girls, I'm, I'm sometimes I think when people come along, especially the Toms, you know, you get off the pit and you think, and Hugh made some good points, you know, some of the guys and girls that need it most... I, I, oh, I'm, I'm a bit nervous and you can see them hanging back mm. at the back of the room once mm. they get welcomed in and you, you, you talk in a way that makes them think oh hold on a minute you obviously know some were you in and there's a bit of comfort you get them in a bit of a crowd and they get talked to by somebody that wants to help them they get that oh hold on I can talk to these people they're not here to sort of have a go and, and put me on a pedestal and make me look stupid they're here to help me and then you can give them a bit of education networking isn't a science and then some people see actually drop out after that one meeting they think oh this is easy and they don't realize but networking Mm -hmm. is about making connections Mm -hmm. but in a way that's not look right here's my cv i've done that no here's my cv you've got to make connections and demonstrate that you're that bit of consistency because if you keep coming back i mean we don't we don't advertise jobs we're not a job advertising board but there are companies that come along and offer jobs Mm. If you just made the effort to come next week you, or next month, you'd have probably heard, hold on a minute, I've got a bad job. Yeah. But, you know, a lot of service personnel do themselves no favours because they don't attribute enough 65% of all the jobs you get because you know somebody. There you go. If that alone taught you, I better get to know a lot more people then. Yeah. And then the other thing is keep turning up. Because the day you don't turn up is probably the day that, hold on, I could have had a job there, mm. but I couldn't be bothered to go. Mm-hmm. It's easier to just lounge in the pit or go down the fox or something. I tell you, what I'm thinking about it uh, is um, is that uh, you said about the guys that hang back. It's that um, the way the way you interact at those events is completely the opposite, or the way you begin interaction with with a person or a group of people is completely against any etiquette or like manners that you would do anything else. So, for example, if I was to walk into a a 
pub or a bar or um, a cafe. And there was three people stood there. I do a bit of networking, yeah? And I used to walk up to a group of three people and go, all right, I'm Hugh. <laughs> what, are, what are you doing? <laughs> doing? It's like, but, and, but that's what I meant to do. But because, so those Toms who walk up, or sergeants, or RSMs, and they turn up, and they, again, the highest ranks hang back. They've been in the whole time. They sit there because they're thinking, well, uh, they're waiting for someone to come and talk to them. Yeah. And they're thinking, I can't go and talk to people because I've got no connection. I've got no, what am I going to do? But you can, uh, people expect you to walk up. People expect you. And it's not, you know, you sometimes, I know you will do it, I'll do it. If you see those guys hanging about, you'll go down and try and bring them in. But it's not always going to happen. Just walk up, be, be rude, say, all right, you, three pie. It, it, that's, an, that's one of those things when you're actually there, you go, oh, that first time, you go, oh, it's going to go to the toilet and then never come back. That's right, you just sneak out. Yeah, sneak but, out. I'm sure, Hugh, but you're, you're unusual because most people look and think that's a window licker. But. <laughs> oh, <laughs> not very PC, John. Oh, hey. Uh, <laughs> Well, I don't know what you mean, man. I mean, you just look like a guy that licks windows. <laughs> but most people, Joe, won't yes. do that, right? Most right. people aren't here. But that is the sort of, you know, most people are, and I understand that, right? I understand that that sort of, oh, this is not my usual comfort zone. You put a, a load of guys and girls in, a, you know, on the first night of a card or something, or rock up and sign in for the for the course starting tomorrow morning, mucking, all right, and you know, get your, your pit assigned. And, and we're just, it is the same, but now it's a slightly you're wearing different clothes and oh, you don't know. But then I have been to liquid list events and we've had officers come to leave as link. And you can almost see the same sort of and I'm not trying to be disrespectful, but I've seen very, very, very senior brigadier level people turn up at liquid list and almost sort of, you know, reading the papers if well, I'm just waiting for somebody to come and, you know, serve me. Well, are they in and, uniform? And you, no, 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 but you can just tell. Yeah, yeah. There's a look, right? There's an age. Right, yeah. you, you didn't get a brigadier the week after you joined. Right, it took a time, and, and I and I've been at liquid list events and been early. All right, so I've got short hair. I'm wearing a suit that was made for me, but you have no idea who I am, and you haven't made the move. I could be the guy that gave you a job at a city bank. Thanks very much, mm. but you couldn't be bothered. And as an ex person, and I, I don't think I've got a chip on my shoulder, but I sort of look and think, what makes you think that you, you I'm going to come to you? You're here looking for a job. But you've no idea who I am. You sort of disdainfully looked over your newspaper and sort of went, oh, well. You've already prejudged me. I tell you what, don't do that in City Street so much because you genuinely have no idea if you've just dismissed. Mm, I've had ex-senior officers who I think at first... I've had a 20-odd-year career now as a civvy. I'd like to think I've done quite well for myself, thanks very much. I don't need necessarily... I have a huge network of people. If I wasn't doing Blue Abyss, I'm sure I could get a job somewhere or I'd go and do something else, right? So people coming out, I think it's changing, and this is not a standard thing, but I've had ex-garrison commanders who've come to Lieber's Link, or sort of, you know, not poo-poo it, not at all, but a bit like, well, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to go and be a you know, um, particular career that I, I think that all of my predecessors will have done. That's right up my street. And I might personally think, yeah, I know you could do that. But I guarantee in this day and age, the civilians you think you're going to go and just impress with your army career and stuff, might not be thinking the same thing. Because they equally, you might meet some civilians who know what rank that means and what experience you'll have had, but often you will meet people who have no idea. And you mm. think you're just going to... It's not the old boy network anymore. It's not the old school network predominantly. People have to cut and thrust. And there are people who've been doing your job as a civilian for 20 years. So you come along and say, but I could do that job. It's the old experience thing. But I, I know I could do that. And in the military, you know, you get told to go and... 
fix something, turn up and do a different job. It's like, okay, I'll have to learn on the job then. But you get entrusted to just do it. In Civvy Street, they want the experience. And you often find that very senior people struggle like very junior people. They think in a, they might think differently, but they almost assume they're going to get the job. Mm-hmm. And actually, there are people who've been doing that job for 20 years, who started as a scruffy little urchin at the ground floor, who've been doing as a civvy that job for 20 years. They're going to get the job. Don't be convincing yourself that you're just going to get it because you're an ex-colonel or a you know, yeah. uh, warrant officer. You need to work hard. And networking... Getting, you know, doing the hue bit of going up and just introducing yourself, and it is difficult. But at the same time, we're all capable of it. I hit it. Like, it's like because I, I hardly go to the networking events. I'm hardly I held it in the background. But I'm hard, I can hardly go and do it. And when I do go, I have to because I, I don't because it's that skill field and that I stand and think oh, I have to force myself to go and butt in because I feel like an mm-hmm. idiot doing it. I think, oh, and then you have to remind yourself, oh, hang on, hang on. sorry, I'm here. I'll just flip in. Bull in the china shop and go and start talking. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> can imagine. It's true. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. I, I don't mind that. I, I mean, maybe because I've been doing a, that bit of going to leave it. I think I'm here. I want to give something back. I've got to put not put myself out. It's not a chore, right? It's like hardly a hard work, is it? It's not a beasting. But you you have to put yourself out a little bit mm. and go up to group. And you can see the guys and girls at the back. They're a little bit. Oh. And you just go and grab them. Who are you? What are you doing? Come on, come and meet such and such. Um. I don't mind meeting people. In fact, I enjoy people. And Blue Abyss gives me a huge opportunity to meet loads of different people. You know, when you're standing with people who've walked on the moon and they're shaking your hand, you're genuinely thinking, whoa, this is unusual, right? This is not going to happen every week. I wasn't saying I hate networking. I was saying I hate that point of getting in there and going, oh, I've got to go and meet you. Go no, I've got to go in. I've got to go and interrupt. It's that, that's, yeah, yeah. that's the reason I thought that just now that, that, God, I'm going to go and interrupt someone and just go, oh, I'm Hugh. You're going to flip and speak to me, that kind of thing. Because that, that's what I think every time. I've only been a handful of, handful of times, but I, I love going there. It's so beneficial, but I much prefer because I've done like speaking there for, for the event and, and just to help with different things and giving them advice because you have guest speakers there. Yeah, yeah. I've done that and I much prefer that. Yeah. Because they'll come to me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. After they come to me, I don't have to go and do that. Then. I mean, I'm just making the point as it, it's difficult, but the benefit's so huge. The benefit's so huge. You've got to get to that point where you can. The one thing you've got on your side is you. And if you can't get overselling yourself a bit, you've got to be comfortable. Whatever you end up doing, whether you want to be a garden designer, a photographer, a painter, or a, 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 you know, a labour on a job, you've got to get yourself across. And so it is a challenge, as you said. But I, that's the one bit you have to get comfortable at saying, oh, here we go then. I hate phoning people up and asking for money, but, but I have to do it. And you just have to think, okay, yeah, these people get this it. all the time. They're expecting mm. it. If I don't do it, somebody else will. Mm, that's right, yeah. And mm-hmm. if you want a job that badly, you'll go and do it. Mm-hmm. Where did you learn to dive? I learned to dive. I first actually learned to swim when I was really young. Um, my, one of my two older sisters threw me in a pool and I, I shouted, yeah. I'm going to tell my mum. She said, well, you need to get the side to tell her. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fair enough. So I, I learned to swim and I just got, I just really found that I enjoyed it. I particularly, I was relatively strong. I'm not a, you know, complete sap. I, I enjoyed swimming and I enjoyed, you know, I enjoyed getting underwater, even with nothing, even in the sea. Eyes stinging. I just used to love that feeling. But it wasn't actually formally until I'd gone to, um, to my first posting in jib and they said you know choose a choose an adventure training course and i said well I'll go on then i'll i'll um, i'll do caving <laughs> that, that was a mistake right You're the wrong build <laughs> yeah <laughs> 
Like a I was thinking potholing. I was thinking potholing. Yeah, go on, sorry, mate. Same thing, same thing. Bigger hole, right? I am, I, well, you're right. I was not, no, this is not for me. After the first couple of days, and, and you know, there were, there were bigger units than me getting through the gap. So you obviously think, hold on, it's obviously possible. But you're in there and you're just thinking, this is not natural. Why would you put yourself in a position if you've never seen somebody go through that particular tunnel or gap and the way they have to twist and dis, you know, dislocate their shoulder, you think, no, hold on a minute, <laughs> I'm going to get stuck. And in a thousand years, there'll be my bones, you know, in the heat. Oh, yeah, that guy couldn't make it through. He got panicky. And a couple of times I got myself into to Even with the guy on the other end, I obviously had gone through the gap. You say, come on, just do this. And you think... How do you know? If you're not there, how would I know to move my shoulder back like that? And that doesn't. So I quickly gave that up as a bad loss, and I thought, "Go on, then we'll try diving." Um, and I did the first course, and I struggled a little bit actually with my sinuses. I used to get I'd come up and mouth full of snot and stuff. But I, once I'd gone through the training, although the first aid bit of having to give C, uh, mouth to mouth to somebody that smoked and had a that was not pleasant right I thought I'm never going to do that again you'd have to drown mate um, <laughs> but once you actually got to dive it genuinely was I'd grown up watching Jacques Cousteau when I first came back to the UK and it was a genuine different world you, it, literally the minute you slipped between, beneath the ocean it was just wow the peace but there's noises and, and there's distraction and it felt like otherworldly I could imagine myself being an astronaut somewhere it was just phenomenal I, maybe they're different to other people. Do you do you do a lot of diving still now then? Regular I haven't done it for a while, do you yeah. actually believe it or not? I've been so busy with this I haven't done it for a while. I tell you I tell you um who you told me about the other day, a, an organisation called Depth Therapy. Yeah. Is that is that just for veterans? Yeah, it's an ex police guy actually, a police guy who runs it, Richard Cullen. Fantastic organisation, helps vets or sensibly have been injured, um, often loss of limbs, believe it or not. Helps them um with PTSD, rehabilitation, self-confidence, and forget forget the injury for a minute. We're going to give you a completely different challenge and something you're going to focus on and just love. And it will take you... And often, I, I went up uh, a couple of weekends ago and spent a, a weekend with a vet who was struggling a little bit, I think, wasn't getting out of the house and stuff. Uh, and he said to me that one of the things that diving really did, which was just, wow, you don't immediately think about that. He's got a, a terrible back now struggles with and is often in pain all the time he said but when I'm in the water I don't feel any pain so you can be limbless I mean there are guys and girls who've legs missing arms missing and of course in the water you think but they just even though they say look I'm floundering around but I'm, I'm paying for it and I'm just I'm doing my own thing I'm in my own world here and it's fantastic and so that I'm a huge supporter of people like depth therapy mm. um so the diving for me, when I got the chance to do it, and once I'd passed the first couple of tests, I had a couple of scares on it and got myself in a bit of a pickle at times, but just fantastic. Uh, and conversely, I absolutely love cave diving. I don't mind how small the gap is underwater really? and take my kit off and claw, crawl through. I love it. But but caving, potholing, no, never again. But cave diving, love it. Isn't that odd? Yeah. Isn't that odd that you don't get that feeling... Weird. When you've got more kit on as well, and there's more repair shit, and it's higher risk. And obviously, you get stuck. At, you know, get stuck in a caving system. You just calm down. You can breathe air. You get stuck underwater, <laughs> and you run out of air. There's a bit of a different world. I, I just can't explain it. I genuinely, genuinely doesn't bother me. I've been in situations where I think, hold on a minute, this isn't going as well as we'd hoped. Uh, <laughs> I'm stuck. <laughs> oh, I wish I hadn't done that bit first. Uh, and I just think, oh well. Hasn't the record recently been broken for the deepest? Um, 
cave dive ever. Was that's recently last few months, last six months? May, do you know, there's there's people, and you have to take your hats off to them. These guys and girls go, <clears throat> I mean, kilometres. So Mexico, Florida, the Caribbean's a big place for actually. There's an awful lot of, of relatively porous rock that that the seawater and uh, limestone rock that the water erodes, and there are often kilometres, hundreds of kilometres of caves. And some of these guys and girls, uh, and bearing in mind that they may well be the first human that's ever been that far mm-hmm. in, you just think, sheesh. You, Mental. There's an awful lot of rigour to it. I mean, it sounds like it's like, right, I've got a cylinder, off we go, let's find out where we go. I mean, they lay lines, they map where they're going. They must have to, like, what are they, if they're going that far through, do they get their heads down in there? No, no, so what they tend to do... No, if you know that there's a caving system that you go into that's dry and then there might be some water in the middle, you take cylinders and then you go so far... It's a rule of thirds in caving, so you go a third and then you have a third back and a third in reserve. It's slightly different to when you just do typical scuba diving. So you'll breathe a a third of your air knowing you've got a third plus a third to get you back. And, And they'll go as far as a third knowing they've got... And then they'll come again, but they'll bring another cylinder. So they can then swap cylinders mm. and go another third further on. So that's how the progression starts. But when you just go into just a saturated cave, you go for a third, you lay a line, and when you come back, you think, right, I went that far. I don't think it's going to be a, a, a much further. They'll, they'll often just literally keep going as far as they think they can go until they find a system that keeps going. I mean, some of these systems in Mexico and Florida go for tens of kilometres. Mm. There could be hundreds of kilometres of underwater passageway. I mean, you'd you'd never probably find it all. Mm. But that's a different order of, you know, you are, can be hours underwater and, and you know, just thinking... Is, it, is the temperature under there colder than... than it can get warmer. Can get warmer. Relatively yeah. static temperature. doesn't keep fluctuating. Oh, really? So the deeper you go in the ocean, the cooler it starts to eventually get. Um can often be very um, clear. How deep until you lose light? So you start to lose red light relatively quickly. Red light? Red light. Yeah. Red's the first wavelength to start going. Blue what, light. What, what, do you know the depths? Or, no. Well, sort of 12, 15 metres, you start to lose red light. Oh, not far then. No, not at all. Have you ever dived, have you? No, 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 no. I'm going to have to learn. Blue light penetrates the furthest. But then, you know, when you when you t- start talking two or three hundred metres... Is that why the ocean looks blue? Yes. Ah, I didn't know that. There you go. Well, that's a fact. That's a pub quiz fact, that is. There you go. By the time you get a couple of hundred metres, I mean, it, it is often shallower that the light will disappear. But you can get some fairly... I'm not suggesting it's broad daylight at 150 metres, but you will get an amount of light will reach... Um, but once you get the sort of 200, 300 metres, to all intents and purposes to a human, it'd be pitch black. Uh, to a lot of creatures, an awful lot of sea creatures will will be able to perceive light, even if it's above them, which obviously would be, but nevertheless, you know, even if what they're looking at is light still above them, as opposed to light that's reaching them, they can they can see, uh, you know, often hundreds and hundreds, of them, even up to the sort of 1,000-plus metre mark. They can see shadow they can see a creature pass above them and yet to a human and to a camera it was hold on a minute it's pitch black mm. it's fascinating yeah freaky animals down there yeah what are those uh tardigrades Tar- i answered my own question the question i didn't ask out loud there's this animal you love this that uh it's called a tardigrade and they reckon it's the most I can't describe it. You describe it, John. Tardigrade. So like these water Men- bears, they call them. They look like little, little squishy caterpillars. They're only a couple of millimetres long. But you have to get a microscope to really see them. They've got a funny face. They survive the vacuum of space. 
Yeah, they do. They, so they live either in moss or in water. You know, mossy, you know, the edge of a pond or something, or in water. I think there's even a marine version living in the sea. But, um, I mean, they, they, so they have to be wet. They ideally want to be wet. But I've, I've heard of examples where they've dried them out, literally dried them out for 10 years, and then added, you know, a couple of drops, and they get up and shake it all off. <laughs> <and laughs> they, they took some not only into space... But put them outside, so they got frozen outside, yeah. and they left them, not not like just you know, a couple of seconds. They left them outside for a couple of days, brought them back in. You know that's got to be what it's got to be minimum of a hun- minus one hundred and fifty degrees or something. Brought them back in. There they go, swimming around. <laughs> they they dosed them with radiation. Proper proper little you know, tough nut. I thought cockroaches were in Paratroopers, the paratroopers. No, not entirely. No. They're ugly. They're ugly. <laughs> uh, okay. I thought cockroaches were the ninjas. Survive a nuclear blast and all that, but tardigrades are. Would tardigrades survive a nuclear blast, though? I think they've dosed them with radiation, you know, and I think they seem to be... They've they've been able to repair their cells. Very, very, very tough. And you sort of look and you think, how did you evolve like that? When did you get, as a creature, exposed Mm. to the vacuum of space and then then dried out for ten years that you thought, (laughs) I'll tell you what, I'll just sleep it off? Have you Mm. seen uh, recently that there was a... I saw an article, I, I can't remember where... But they are there's serious consideration and like analysis going on of of whether um octopus mm-hmm. are octopus. of this earth mm-hmm. or are they alien life that came here as like amoeba type cells thousands, millions, millions of years ago, a meteorite came in, this these life forms run there into the ocean and evolved to become octopus. Have you seen that recently? Yeah, I saw, I saw the article. I didn't. I didn't go and properly read it all. Nothing. I mean, I, I think you know, it was in the Daily just, Mail. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah maybe. I mean, you look at you know, so squid, octopus, uh, cuttlefish, cephalopods, and you know their eyes, um, no bones in the body, some cartilage, their teeth, you know, their mouth, their beak mm. is the only bit of real hard stuff, and their and the ends of their suckers. Octopus tentacles all can act independently of the brain. They just do their own thing. They've got their own little brains, and then the octopus got the brain. So it's like a team of brains. Carry on, sorry. Another, hey, another pub, pub quiz fact. Yeah, yeah. Got, just, oh, yeah. I don't, it's not the same books as me, John. I've heard stories you can cut off, a, not necessarily go around doing it, but you can cut off an octopus's tentacle, and in some instances they can grow them back. I mean, mm-hmm. just extraordinary creature. You've seen, I mean, octopuses are very clever for, so, for a, yeah. a, a creature you think. That's, I've seen examples where they put them in those kiddie sweet jars with the lid on, and the things are inside, right? And they screwed the lid on it, and it's unscrewed it and got out. Mm. I mean, they're very, mm. very, very clever. And so, look, if, if you were going to describe an alien, look at their eyes and look at the creature that was completely different. But then, as you said earlier, you know, going to the depths of the ocean, we're still discovering. And there are lots of species of squid and octopus in the ocean's depth that we're only still discovering mm. that have evolved. And you just think, jeez, you know. Mm. Under all that pressure, or under all those extreme environmental conditions, life still finds a way, and some of it is extraordinary. Have we only explored some like ten percent or two percent of the ocean floor? Something I think tiny, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, five percent, six percent. I mean, no idea. It's mental really. It's got so no you can idea. Get your head though. around it, isn't it? The, yeah. The but you, you look at some of those deep. I I do it quite regularly because it's mental, like the deep sea creatures, and you'll get like octopus with all spikes and lights on them. It's like mm. something out of the abyss. Remember the old yeah, film? Yeah. It's like something yeah. like that. Real stuff. And I don't know the nuts. things we we draw and come up with, and yet there's weirder things that are actually out there. Yeah. I mean, there's been more people on the surface of the moon than there has. Not that, that a human could go to the bottom of the Marianas Trench, the deepest point on Earth, but there's been more people 
on the surface of the moon than have been down to the deepest point on earth there's still huge areas of resources energy sources um unknown places to go and explore um on the surface of this planet or underwater but effectively on the planet then then we could you know begin to contemplate Mm. but as a species i think we're in the next generation is the opportunity to go off the planet but at the same time you know i think thank goodness we're all getting a bit more aware for instance not throwing plastic away being more aware that hold on the thing we need water we're actually just effectively dumping on it Mm. no end of time and and before we need to go we need to get it right here Mm -hmm. what are you going to say you question, you I was thinking about them virgin space um, holidays when you were saying about in the next generation. Uh, yeah. space, that space that? holidays. Yeah, what's that? Have they actually launched one yet? They don't go into space. They don't go into space. No, no, they don't. Those ones don't. Space holiday? Well, oh, you know, I think it was into space. Yeah. So you're for the whole flight. John knows more about this than I do. The whole flight is seven and a half minutes. Correct, John? Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah, I think it's yeah? six, six, seven yeah. minutes. You don't leave... What's the top atmosphere called? Stratosphere? What is it? Uh, now you're going to get me. So there's the troposphere, <laughs> stratosphere, and then there's uh, begins with M and I can't think. I mean, do you know, you have to go about 400 yeah. kilometres before you really you start to space. get close towards the end of the Earth's atmosphere. Yeah, you don't go into space. It's a right bluff. It's a bit of a bluff. Probably. Cancel that one then. Well, no, who's, who's, um, who's, why did you, were you planning on it? Yeah, yeah, me and the missus were thinking Because it was quite cheap, it's quite cheap, (laughs) like 250k. Yeah, to go on the Virgin Galactic experience is 250,000. How long have you been saving for? How long have you been saving for? Um, who, who came up with the idea? Um, your logo for Blue Abyss, Flying Fish. I've got to say, it was a, a firm in culture, Silk Pierce, and and we we didn't have a logo. We just had the the, the name Blue Abyss, and then mm. we went to them and said, "Look, I went and had a chat with the, the owner, Jack Pierce, and just said, you know, what we're trying to do is show how water is the link between on the planet and, and off the planet." Uh, and they came back with this logo, and I thought, you know, eventually it just it completely has grown on me. Yeah, I think it's one of the few creatures for, that can go from. For people listening, John's got a logo, a blue abyss, and a shirt, and it's it's uh, a f- like a silhouette of a flying fish, but it's not cartoony, but like drawn, so it's not an actual picture. And it's got droplets of water coming off it as the flying fish is coming out of the water, and then stars in the background. Quite cool. You have to go on the blue abyss website for that. And for everyone's information. I was actually eating flying fish March this year in Barbados. Flying fish sandwich. Now we, now we feel really bad for the flying fish. They're selling flying fish, yeah. Basically, um, off the shores of Barbados, uh, there's loads of them. Basically, loads of them. If you if you if you're out in the in the boat tonight and you jump, you have a little swim in the sea. You bang the top of the water. All the, they all jump out. Yeah, it? no, but uh, yeah. Anyway, they net them. And uh, yeah, they net them in they, the air. At every restaurant, there's flying yeah, fish. They net them in the air on the no, water. No, when they trawl them or whatever. <laughs> <isn't they? laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Actually, actually. smack the water. Should be netting them, wouldn't they? They'd be all jumping out over the top. Well, wouldn't I know. I was thinking yeah. that. What do they taste like? Nice, very nice. Yeah, every restaurant flying fish. I just yeah. Mm. I've got yeah. to sort of now think that I'm not going to eat any flying fish <laughs> just because you know. I, I tried shark once. It was flipping horrible. It's like eating a chunk of rubber. Was, oh God, it was awful. It was a shark kebab. Rayfish. In Swansea, though, so probably was even <laughs> Ray- was even shark. <laughs> Rayfish was the worst thing I've ever eaten fish-wise. Oh really? Yeah, yeah. Low, really bony, really bony. I didn't expect it, but obviously it's all bones, like you know, flapping away as he swims or whatever. Yeah. I know but anyway, in Iceland, in Iceland, they bury shark for six months. They used to bury them in on the beach, literally just cover it with stones. If they found a shark, 
or they, or they caught a shark, bury it with stones on the beach and just leave it for six months to sort of effectively rot and ferment. And in Sweden, isn't it herring? They put herring in. Why yeah. do they do? Why do they do that? They, 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 what, and they eat it. Yeah, and then eat it. I mean, it, it's a proper. You know, you've got to think that mm. that is a, a smell taste. and a taste. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's what that, it is. Forget selection. Forget you know. Yeah. Forget the Trinasian. That eat is that a, herring. Oh, thanks, but no thanks. I mean, the number of people you see YouTube clips of, of guys and girls opening the old tins and just getting a. Whoa, I don't think I can be eating that. I no. No, no, six months and, and rotten fermented herring. That's not selling it on a menu, is it, really? Come on. No. How, big, how big was the flying fish before being cooked? How big are they? Uh, they're, they're small. Oh, they're small, yeah, though. They're small. Yeah, they, yeah. they can go quite far, can't they? They can fly fly quite far, can't they? glide, they? technically. Yeah. Glide. Oh, but it's a good logo, though. It's good. Oh, yeah. It's like, yeah, yeah, it's fantastic. Like the it? whole, yeah. When you think about it, I thought like more thought would have gone into it, can't but it's like married up nicely with Blue Abyss, hasn't it? Oh generally it's it's perfect. Yeah. The only creature that really goes from the marine and to the and is comfortable to a degree in both. We know that flying fish is not, you know, uh, an airborne creature as such. But yeah, fantastic. Mm. It suits what we're doing. Salmon wouldn't have cut the same mustard, would it? Like a salmon. If you'd had a, a salmon or they jump out they go yeah, upstream yeah, they and do, jump they out. Do. He, he but, could have gone for salmon. Yeah, yeah, the flying yeah, salmon mascot. Yeah. It's got the same stuff. You could put a helmet on it. Yeah. Come on, it doesn't. Yeah. But a flying fish sounds the business, doesn't it? That That's cool. an astronaut in training, that is. Yeah, it's cool. It is cool. Um, Liberia. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. That's my next question. That's what I was going to come on to. Yeah. No prompting. I have to prompt him. Yeah. Sorry. It's green. I bet you were thinking. I was still Texas. thinking about fish. That's what I was thinking. That's what, I was thinking. <laughs> what fish could I come up with now? Yeah, 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 Moves on to dinner yeah, now. All, yeah. all of the blue abyss polos have um, all of the blue, blue abyss polos have the nationality on them. Right. So John's being the Liberian flag. How does that work out in your head? We're confusing Jared today. Yeah. I can see it confusing yeah. him. I've got the World Cup going on. I've seen pool. a lot of flags today. You see, I was in the pub and that round to uh, what village hall down there? There's flags everywhere. I'm glad your mind's on the show. It's the best so, thing. Yeah. yeah, tell us, tell us about it. <laughs> so one of the things that struck me. So actually, all the astronauts have been into space. There's been a number of nations, and if you go to places like Houston's or NASA's Houston facility, it's called the MBL Neutral Buoyancy Laboratory. On the walls of the building, they've got all the flag nationalities of, of astronauts that have gone into space or agencies that contribute. And I thought, what a fantastic thing to show. And we're very fortunate in the company. We've got people from all sorts of different, you know, people born in Hong Kong, uh, Americans, um, Japanese, um, Belgians, Germans. And I thought, what a fantastic thing to show that in space, a bit like underwater, you know, you don't necessarily ask questions when you're on If you could, you wouldn't be saying, look, just before you rescue me, are you friendly? Are you, you know, you'd just be thinking, I need some help. And in space, I'd like to think we as a species would probably be done with the politics bit for a while. Uh, and I thought, what a way of showing that we're a multinational company, but apart from getting everybody's flag on there. Only thing is, the only pictures I ever could find the Liberian military who had flags on their arms. They all wore them on the right. Everybody else has got it sussed with their left arm, but Liberians, for some unique reason, have got their flag on the right arm. So. What the military have? Yeah, I don't know why oh, they would choose that. Maybe just decided, look, as a country, we're going to be different. And so we're all different. Did you know in, in uh, Serbia, your wedding rings were worn on your right hand? It's quite a few European countries I thought did that. I don't know why. Pub quiz fact. 
Uh, he's terrible at pub cruises, by the way. Don't ever have him on your team, I've seen Yeah, that. yeah he conned yeah. me into it. I had to pay for it. It weren't cheap either. You conned him, right? So I paid for both of us to play this quiz. We came last. We came last. <laughs> oh, it was most very embarrassing. So I'm thinking, right, when he announced the team name, because he didn't say, like, Jared and Hugh, he said something stupid. It wasn't Jared and Hugh. And they went, and in last place... I think it was a cough that he goes, Way! <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing? No! It didn't, it wasn't WL, was it? Window. <laughs> no one's known. No one's known. No one's known. Yeah. yeah. I think it was Reg, actually, wasn't it? Team Reg. It was Team Reg. It was Team <laughs> Reg. Team Barney. Yes, yeah, something ridiculous. Um, where, when did you leave Liberia? Uh, I w- was there, I was born there uh, in 1966. Great year for the World Cup. The only year for the English World Cup, wasn't it? I don't think that'll be repeated too soon. Uh, I left there, I think it was the end of 68 or something, we moved to Saudi Arabia. Do you remember any of it? Apart from the swimming lesson. Not a lot. <laughs> yeah. Apart from, you know, get out. Yeah. Uh, Have you been back? No. I'd like to go back, actually. Now, do you know, there's now, there's an ex-footballing world champion uh, who is a part of, who's the president of Liberia. And just before that, it was a woman. So, you know, after all the issues that they suffered under Charles Taylor, they've now got their act together. And then you went to Saudi. I forgot Saudi Arabia. Yeah, I saw my first public flogging as a as a three year old. Really? Yeah, that'll stay with me. Uh, <laughs> refereed a football match. I think it was something about blonde hair and being male that sort of got me away with right. You can referee this football match. I don't know how that happened. <laughs> Actually, I was still in the crowd and they gave me the whistle. I just blew it. Um, got chased by a dog when I was a kid up some loads of flights of stairs. Rode a horse without a saddle. You know the things that stick out that are probably really traumatic. But you look <laughs> back and think, oh, I made it. And we moved to Bahrain. So I grew up in the Middle East. I actually really found those Arab people for me. I could speak Arabic, so it was quite easy. If you're if you're a boy rather than a girl, you, it's easy mm. to sort of intermingle. Yeah, a oh, lovely time out. Love the people, love the food, love the heat. Uh, and then my father got yeah. killed out there, so we came back in '74, the middle of '74, to this country, which I found interesting, difficult. Mm. We what age were you then? So uh, what ten then? No, just eight, seven and a half, eight. Were you, did you go to school in, so you, did you, do you have like primary schools in Bahrain? Yeah. How does the school system work? Yeah, same as here, you know, yeah, yeah. So is it? It was more of an American system actually. In Saudi Arabia I went to kindergarten, which is the same as nursery. In Bahrain I was still young enough to go to kindergarten. Then you do juniors. Has it got a big American influence, Bahrain? Yeah, yeah. there was, even then there was. You know, so we, we I, I didn't know what a supermarket was. We used to go to the commissary. What's that? Supermarket. Oh, sorry. I just explained. I thought you didn't, <laughs> thought you didn't know what a supermarket. Carry on, John. Carry well, on. Sorry, <laughs> I didn't know what the word supermarket. Ah, was. sorry. Used to call sorry, it the sorry, yeah, sorry, right. Let's explain it better, John. Yeah. Get your head straight. Uh, the television was the few hours that we got in Bahrain was all American television. So we oh, grew it? up watching American cartoons, American sort of space films, um, and then the end of the night when the television stopped. And those, I seem to remember it was like six or seven o'clock, and there was a picture of the king came up and they played the national anthem. So I was always saluting that. Um, at the same time every day yeah yeah that's awesome you, they can't that, I mean that's mental that's probably yeah but proper proper you can't beat it with the old patriotism like the Americans got it right yeah. I mean, absolutely it absolutely and over here we're not so sure you know mm. it's, it's hard isn't it <clears throat> it's, I don't understand it I don't I don't understand it I, I, I think a lot of it is that um, uh, is that there was such a big gap between Significant wars. So you got Second World War, and then you had what? Korea. Did we go to Korea? Korea. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then, um, and then, massive gap within significant wars. Then to Falklands, and then, and then, twenty years between that and Afghan. I mean, you can count it right, but sort of, you sort of, you can, you can't. You don't have the public support. 
behind it. But a lot of the, as we're seeing now, a lot of the regeneration of huge public support in the military, and which is a, and the military are very representative of, of like patriotism. Yeah. Um, those gaps sort of, sort of died, you know, sort of died off. And I think what's happened in the last 10 years, maybe, is that the association, wrongly, well, yeah, wrongly, between uh, sort of patriotism being associated with racism or someone who describes themselves as a patriot, which is like an American thing. I don't say I'm a patriot. You can get it in America. But quite often in America, those people are representative of racism, racist groups because of the outspoken ones. But I think that's, I think it is seen, that, that word is seen as a, as that sort of stigma attached to it, of, of sort of racist connotations, I think. And I think that's why it's sort of... Too easy to offend people these days. Yeah, like, problem, everyone's a bit too tiptoeing around, isn't they? They don't want to. I'm afraid to have the flag show. Yeah. Is it true that yesterday the BBC, when um, when the English football team was stepping off the plane and arriving in Russia, that the George Saint George Cross on their jerseys was blurred out? I've seen a picture of it online, but I don't know if it's. Rubbish and it's just you know, know propaganda. I can't imagine that. I mean, they're going as English, it was. Well, it was. It? Po- in fact, it was posted by next three for lad. He said it's, it was. It, yeah, it was. He said, "Is it me of the BBC just blurred out the flags?" And it was a picture of him on the doing on the TV. He was had a photograph of the TV. I have to ask him about that. Yeah, apparently so. I mean, if we've gotten to that level of political correctness, uh, well, sheesh, the cause is lost, isn't it? Yeah, you've got to have an amount of pride, and and. and Look, in the United Kingdom, what an old-fashioned name, what a fantastic... The United Kingdom. Mm, The fact we've got four different countries, and apart from some politicians storming out occasionally and perhaps throwing the dummies out, I'm proud of the fact there's four different nations, because ostensibly, the people within those four different nations don't often really, really broadly support the politics. We support... We're together. You know, it's us versus... There's inter-country rivalry. Fantastic. The the five nations, the four nations... You know, you could have had the four nations still. All right, we use Ireland instead of just Northern Ireland. But you could have a rugby match between one country and four four different countries are playing. Fantastic. But when we come together, look at the First World War. Nobody stopped to say, well, actually, I'm Irish. I'm not going to fight with you. And you get New Zealanders and Australians. There's a common history that transcends the politics rubbish. Politics often gets in the way, and that just is really disappointing. Sadly, you then get people who come to countries, and I think UK... I think, of course, I'm British to a degree. My mother and father are British. Um, But I'm proud of where I was born. I'm proud to represent it. But you get people who come to the United Kingdom who seemingly take for granted the fact that this is a tolerant, multicultural progressive nation and abuse that. Is that, their, is, is that their fault though? For taking what they can be provided or is that our fault as in I'm, I'm going to say government fault I'm, I'm, and when I say government I'm not saying the party's in place now the part, it's government best. When a party t- t- takes when, when the Labour Party replaced the Conservative Party everyone in the government and all those systems down don't change. Senior positions change but the thing with the government is it's pretty much 78% the same people doing the same things apart from the top level. You know, it's like changing out all... If you change out all the... the, the if you change out the CEO in a company and then the, 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 the all the directors and then maybe the key department heads. Still the same company, doing the same thing, but over time some of the decisions change. What I'm saying is, so is it the fault of... I'll digress there. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> Jesus. Is it their fault coming in and going, oh, I can get this and taking it? Or our fault 
for providing it? I, do you know what I see in America? I see a much more democratic, the people, and there's some big lobby groups in America, you know, Rifle Association, National Rifle Association, has one example of, of where power is being concentrated in a, in a lobbying group who then influence. But I think politicians recognise... Politicians in this... Sorry, I was going to finish. Politicians in America recognise they need to appeal to their voters and they need to broadly fit in their state, in their city, what do my most of my constituents want. And in this country, I think we get that when politicians want us to vote for them. And I think they lack, at times, the conviction to say, actually, this isn't right. I represent these people and these people's value. This is a multicultural country. You know, we've had black people here for four and five hundred years. There is British, they're more British than I am, probably. And, and whether we see it as colour or whether we see it as religion, you come to a country, if you want to partake in a religion or uh, an expression of your particular identity, do so, but do so mindful of where you've come. And if a country like the UK is very tolerant, you ought to be mindful of the fact that I might not actually be able to get away with what I'm saying, where I came from. The fact that I can get away from it here doesn't give me permission to then say, you ought to let me do more of this. Hold on a minute. Mm. You've come here and these people, the British, let you be like that. doesn't give you carte blanche oh, you mean to be yeah, like that. Cultural things. And telling people that, you know, down with and we're going to convert you all to a different religion and or whatever it is, you know. I think all, become all so religions do that. I think it's just more made more highly profiled because the, the media play on the the um, cultural differences and and want to want to want to seize on that. There's an immigration problem; it's all been messed up. I mean, another way to look at it is um, not another way to look at it. Just I mean, the 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 policies and long term and short term are all driven by. I mean, really, are all driven by at some way, shape, or form. The base, the one of the base major factors is money. Um, you can uh, arguably, yeah, it comes in somewhere. You, a country, I can't survive without money. A country can't survive without money. A council can't survive without money. Yeah, one of the one of the and we're, and we're all with like every other country. Most of the most other first world Western countries in the world are plummet month day by day further into debt. Yeah, just you can't. It's impossible to get out of it. I right? go further and further into debt. And one of the one of the one of the best one of the key ways, the most measurable ways of getting more money is through taxes, either corporations or people. Yeah, but in, in when you come to raise raise the taxes, and we're talking in short term now, where parties own political aspirations and they don't want to rock the boat. The worst thing you can do is raise a flipping tax, income tax or corporation tax, income tax being the worst one because then you've got how many people in the UK? Millions and millions and millions and millions going. There you go, saying, whoa, that's a drama. But long term, for the bigger thing, there's actually a really easy way to increase your tax income, increase the amount of people. Loosen the immigration laws. More money. Like that. And here we have conspiracies. You know, mm-hmm. yeah, it is. You know, it's one of those political areas. That I, 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 politics, frankly, you know, I just try and avoid it because hmm. it eventually becomes a number of individuals wanting to stand on a stool and say their yeah. piece. And I don't know that in this country we've got the best for the people of all sorts. Uh, I, I grew up in Middle East countries, and you know, some of the most friendly people on earth. 
very hugely tolerant uh, and and there's often bad press attributed to one particular religion and I don't doubt there are an awful lot of bad people but I tell you there are an awful lot of bad people regardless of the religion mm. just yeah. choose to be like that mm-hmm. um, politics and religion I'd write happy going diving there doesn't appear to be much politics and religion on the water <laughs> and I'd like to think that in space there at the moment you know one of the places that we continue to collaborate even between the Russians and the Americans with whatever words are slinging each other, thankfully, in space on the ISS. It does seem to be... Uh, it does seem... that obviously being involved a little bit. So that, that does continually surprise me, is that even when you had the height of the problems of... Well, it's still going on. Russia and Syria, and then the the diplomatic relations between China and America, and, and, and America and the UK, actually, and then China and China and the UK, is that in the background? Because especially last year and a half, where, you know, um, I'm just more... Uh, Exposed more to that to the sort of aerospace space kind of um, industry is that you see that well, exactly what you're saying there. Everyone keeps talking. Everyone keeps, the Russian space agency are talking to the UK space agency, or not just the space agencies, but the aerospace companies. Now they all talk to each other. Chinese, flipping yeah. Taiwanese and Chinese. Well, I believe the same thing. You know, Japanese space agency, the um, American American space agency, NASA. Yeah, all keep talking to each other, regardless of what seems to be going on. And yeah, it, it does sort of drop down in a notch when things are going bad, but it's still, the dialogue is still there. What it surprises, what, really surprises me, because it's... It, well, what are Russians up to up in space? Are they up to no good? Lasers, mate. They've got lasers. Like they are everywhere else. They've got a Death Star. Are they, no idea. Or are they... No idea. No. no. Go, well, John, no, go on. Well, they're still involved in collaborating on the ISS. I think the Russian space agency, Roscosmos, has made a decision... As far as I'm aware, you know, I'm not party to what President Putin uh, may or may not have dictated them that they would do, that they're looking to end, uh, probably end their um, involvement in the ISS by 2024, 2025, 2026. Some of that order. Yeah. I mean, that's what, for instance, the ISS w- has already been extended. And the Americas are selling their parts, aren't they? No, at the moment, there's still talk about the ISS going on between b- beyond 2024 to 2026, perhaps even as late as 2028. What you have is 1980s and 1990s and often older technology being still in space, the ISS, hugely successful international collaboration. But I think its its economic value is now start. It is really in the balance in terms of how much money can we keep just to keep the thing going yeah. versus is there a better, more modern way of doing it? The trouble is what you've got in the ISS is all of those different nations and the world superpowers, apart from the Chinese, involved in it. Uh, but post the ISS, it looks to a degree like you'll get much more independent nations doing their own thing rather than a human. Endeavor. Oh, really? Yeah, which is, it feels like, is that a backward step again? Perhaps. It would be fantastic to think, finally, somewhere off the earth, we managed to put that aside and just people tend to yeah. get on with people. Yeah. You add religion, you add politics, you get a whole world of pain sometimes. Whereas there... And for the years that it's been up, uh, that it's just been a huge success. Space agencies are popping up everywhere. Australians are just kicking one off, aren't they? Yeah. Australian space agency. You've got space agencies in places you wouldn't even think. There's some of the smallest countries in Africa, which you'd never heard of. You know, you think I didn't know that country existed. Space agencies, mate. Everyone's getting into it. Nigeria have just got one kicked off, haven't they? Going to the CubeSat and satellites. So, am I right in saying that? Was it Nigeria? I believe so. I know that Liberia hasn't got a space agency at the moment. I'd like to think that will change. Keep putting their flag up. Might that might help. It could be helpful, that mate. Yeah. I'll happily send you off to the moon. 
I'll take him with me. Only uh, one of us is coming back. We're going to have to, uh, I'm out of time, I have to wrap this up. How do you, so, Leaver's Link. How do people follow Leaver's Link? So, usual, Leaver's Link on LinkedIn, uh, Twitter, Leaver's Link, Facebook, Leaver's Link, website, Leaver's Link. Hashtag, yeah, link. should be. <laughs> uh, networking. Um, <clears throat> very easy. Every third Tuesday of the month in Colchester at the Garrison Officers Club, it's no longer the Garrison Officers Club, it's not an Officers Club, but uh, from 6.30 to late 30, a couple of hours, and then in Norwich a week later. So very easy to find us. Always welcome. We welcome businesses, welcome uh, families of vets, we welcome serving personnel. The one thing that you made a point about earlier, I think perhaps we don't get some more support on the base because the, the forces, the army, are under a huge manning issue mm. at times, as we all know. Mm. Does a CEO, CEO, does a CEO want to sort of say to the Toms and the, and the blokes, yeah. look, if you're thinking of getting out, what I think they should do... They want to retain them, don't they? They don't want them... Look, but, Jared, if you, gave, yeah. if you gave some of the guys the choice, look, go and, go and find out what's out there, make a decision. It's when you hold it back from people. I think they get miffed with the number of tours, the duty being stung for, no pay rise. Hold on, I've been dick for another t- you know, duty again this weekend. Instead of Then guys and girls get so peed off that yeah. they just think, I'll tell you what, I'll go. Instead of... Let's help you evaluate what the choices are. I was talking so, to a guy, um, you know of him. He, uh, I, I, won't, I won't mention his name at this point. I'm just going to prefer not to. But he, he, he wants to come down to leave his link, actually. Um, he's got his own business, super successful business, right? A business that is that a lot of service leaders go to. I've referred people to him. He's put people through courses. He's employed them, right? And he's interested in and he's one of, he's so honest, he's just an honest, full of integrity guy. Whatever comes out of his mouth is absolute truth. He would, and it's never for his own benefit. Well, sometimes it is, but indirectly, right? Um, he want, he wants, he's asking me, I, I want to come down. He want, if I can facilitate him getting to camp, right? And speak to the guys via the RCMOs, because he wants to give the advice, stay in. Stay in. For the majority of you, your best option is to stay in. And I haven't engaged him in conversation with him. Flipping heck. You know, because I think in some, in quite a lot of instances, that is the option that should be taken. I do think, and that's from my own experience. And there's a whole, whole bunch of reasons. I think we are touching it with it a bit with Jordan. Whole lot of reasons for it. But he wants to come down to that, come to leave us link with it. You know, um, um, how did I go into that? I, I think you're right, though. Oh, I don't yeah. know how we got onto you, but we got onto it. And I think that what you know, and for an awful lot of guys and girls, the number of people I hear who years later say, "Oh, I wish I'd never got out. I hate it," and you think, "Oh, that's really sad." You, you know, the forces is that sort of, right, you made a decision, off you go. And yet the forces mm. are the same group that will then struggle because when they've then got lack of experience, lack of NCOs, senior NCOs, senior Toms to do the work, and it's a whole shed load. Of, and now we're, we're struggling with Manning. You know, when, when I was in, 120,000 of us were in the infantry and 80,000 in support arms. Now there's not even 80,000 in the British Army. And yet we're still getting tasked in... Mm. Isn't it that low that it's not even classed as an army? Militia. Yeah, that's old school. Militia apparently saying for a thousand. I mean, they they flipping got rid of too many people too quickly and then they handed over recruitment to Capita, a civvy firm. Mm. How's a civvy going to recruit you into... Have you been... I applied for TA, right, until I realised I wasn't going to do it from a hearing. And... The hoops. Oh, it was, it was absolutely crazy what they're asking me to get back in. I was going. I think the TA is like a Lance Jack, or I can't remember what it was. It was a Tom, I think it was. The, st- the stuff. I, um, I was. Oh, that's right. I got a TA. 
if I passed the medical, go to TA, I'd be a Tom, because nothing I did when I was in is counted. As in, I'm not all experienced, I'm not about qualifications. Seniors, juniors, advanced drill course, sniper, psychological warfare, planners course, a psychological mm-hmm. operation. None of it. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm not... I'm not bothered. I'm getting back in just because why not? I'm not getting back in. I've got the TA because why not? It was one up the road for me at the time. Why not? But I mean, you, you, like, the British Army is a hugely professional organisation, and I think still, still today, um, would be a fantastic career choice. Even if what it did is help young people get a bit of self sense of sense of identity and a bit of discipline about themselves. Mm-hmm. And I know we've always said that. You know, my father said oh, it wouldn't harm any any kid to do three years now. But today, what we what we seem to lack is, a, is the, the the politicians' will to say, "I tell you what, let's expand our army." Not because we're suddenly going to go and conquer loads of new um, countries, but because it's a, pare- a career where young people who don't know what they want to do at sixteen can get a sense of self worth, mm-hmm. self identity, self discipline, get a bit of fitness about them, learn a trade. Even if that trade, for instance, you know, even the infantry might say, "But what am I learning?" You're learning about yourself. You're learning some project management, even though you... Now, if we civilianised it a bit and said, look, let's teach you what you're learning, mm-hmm. instead of saying you're going to be in the army and you're going to be in the army for the next 30 years, let's civilianise it a bit. Let those youngsters do three, four, five, six, seven, eight years and come out, and I think they'd be better members of society. Mm. Yeah, mm-hmm. I agree with that. Definitely. Leave us link, we know that one. Bluebiss is bluebiss.uk. Bluebiss.uk. You would love... Have you been on the website? I haven't, no. Get on the website, mate. You would love it. It's a awesome video it takes you through the whole facility it's, it's pretty cool is that going to be uh, featured on the website yeah, I think we ought to do a bit yeah. of, I love it Jaron. I think giving young kids something yeah. like that will inspire them so yeah we'll be doing a clip and put it on the video yeah. on the web on the video on the, yeah. <laughs> put a video on the video on the web, on the web. Yeah. So you, you, you know what I mean yeah. pleasure John as yeah. always thank thanks you. Very, interesting, John. John. very interesting thanks bud That's it. I hope you enjoyed it. Jared and I certainly did enjoy the show. John Vickers, an amazingly interesting man and inspirational. Uh, a reminder of what uh, John spoke about there. Leave his link, check it out, search for the hashtag. You'll find them dead easy online, that uh, free networking event for service leavers. And our main sponsor today was aardvartclearmind.com. I spoke about them extensively at the start of the show. They are definitely worth looking at the website. They're fantastic. Above all else, they're fantastic people in the organisation. Really, really nice, professional, caring people who are, are really care about what they're doing. It's one of those companies where um, it's not a completely corporate-driven. They actually have an interest in what they're doing. And essentially what they're doing is they are saving lives and preventing uh, injury. Arvartclearmind.com. Also, our sponsor today, our last sponsor today, was 429 Group. 429 Group, a, a company that provides security services, health and safety services, and medical services around the country, based right here in the UK, run by 2X service leavers. Check out 429 Group, 429.group. Until the next time, out. <laughs>